Good morning, everyone. What an honor it is to be here this morning. What great worship. Hey, man, was that great worship? I just love that. Great job. I want to say a special thank you before I dive in to Pastor Aaron for working with me in the last few months at getting me to come here and Pastor Cody for trusting me enough to allow me to be here and to preach and I appreciate that. How many of you know that you have a great leadership team here? Did you know that? You do. You do. So thank you. Well listen, I'm from Iowa and so when I say Iowa, yell out loud, the first thing that comes to your mind, Iowa? Okay. Not bad, not bad. Who said potatoes? That's Idaho. It offends me. There are no potatoes in Iowa. I'm kidding. Yeah, there's corn. You're smart. That's a lot of corn. And uh, so I'm glad to be here. My wife and I built a marriage ministry years ago where we trained thousands of couples all over the world how to walk with other couples with a, a very special method. It's a method of, of walking with you privately. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And, and for years and years and years, we left our careers and dedicated ourselves to building marriages. Because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of watching couple after couple after couple and family after family dissolve and become broken. Are you tired of it this morning? You tired of seeing it? And so that's why my wife and I left our careers and we dedicated ourselves to this ministry. And that's why I'm here. And this morning, it's not about me. It's not even about a message. This morning, it's about you. It's about what God wants for you. It's about what God has, has, wants to put on you in the, in the way of an anointing and in the way of a calling. So if you're here this morning and you're married, this message is for you, whether you're happy, sad, glad, or mad. But if you're not married, I want you to, to, to stay tuned in. And I see a lot of young ones here who are not married yet. And I want you to stay tuned in this morning. Don't check out just because it's a message on marriage. Like Pastor Cody shared, here's the reason why. And I see a lot of young ones over here smiling. I'm going to look right at them and make them feel uncomfortable. <laughs> here it is. Marriage is coming to you. It's not far away. And I want you to be ready. And actually, I'm going to stop in the sermon this morning. And I'm going to speak directly to you if you're young and not married. So please, stay tuned in. And if you're here and you're older, maybe you're widowed or divorced and never to marry again, I want you to stay tuned in as well. And here's why. Because right now, you probably know someone who wants out of their marriage. Or you're going to know someone. Maybe it's a neighbor, a friend. Maybe it's a son, a daughter, a grandchild of yours. And they're going to come to you. And they're going to need answers. And they're going to want a formula. And I want you to give them this formula this morning. It's biblical. I've seen miracles happen all over the, the world with this formula. I'm going to give it to you. It's simple. So stay tuned in. The title to the message this morning is How to Fix Your Spouse. <laughs> That's really good, isn't it? How many of you, raise your hand right now really high, if you know of a spouse who needs fix? Just raise it really high. Come on. Come on. Don't point at him. Come on. I didn't tell you to do that. That's right. Aaron, okay. <laughs> the reason why I titled this message this way is often in marriage counseling or marriage mentoring, Couples come into the arena with this other attitude. It's not, I'm here to, to get myself fixed. I'm here so you can fix her. We see it happening 
Or how about one morning when Pastor Cody's preaching and he brings a nugget of truth and it's a zinger. It's like, ooh, that really hurts. What do you do? You elbow your spouse. You're like, hey, that was for you. <laughs> Hope you're taking notes. And I brought my toolkit with me. And I want to unpack what tools that you're using to fix other people. They're your tools. We learn how to use our tools when we're this big. We start using our tools. And, and so those of you who are here and you're young, you're using tools right now to fix friends at school or your teacher or your brother, your sister, or a parent that you're not happy with. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But before I even go any further, I've got to clear the air a little bit here. I don't have a perfect marriage. None of us do. How many of you know that we all walk into the room this morning flawed? We're all flawed. I'm flawed. Pastors are flawed. So just do this right now. Turn to the person next to you and say this to them. Just tell them right now. Just look right at them and say this. You're not perfect. Just tell them right now. I know it's shocking. I know it hurts. And then say this, neither am I. Don't forget that part. Neither am I. When I first got married to Pam, you got to understand Pam is a beautiful woman and she's smart and she's very organized, super organized and super detailed. And the day after our wedding, I remember I go over to her condo to load up her furniture to move into our new home. Exciting times. And I get over there with this truck and a trailer and I'm going to load up her furniture and she put, sort of, she has it all laid out, like almost probably in alphabetical order knowing her, and it's all wrapped and ready to go, and she's super safe. And she comes up to me, and, and she says, okay, honey, now when we load this in the trailer, she said, we drive across town, it's a very large city. She looked at me, and she goes, now drive slow. And then she climbs in the trailer, puts her arms around her furniture, so none of it will get scratched. And off we go. About five miles down the old road there where it's a pretty busy intersection, I saw a Taco Bell and I got hungry for a taco. The problem is, right at that intersection, the light turned yellow. Guys, what do you do when a light turns yellow? You. I forgot she was even back there for about 20 seconds. And I gunned it. And I whip it to the left and whip it to the right, right into Taco Bell. And the trailer completely became disconnected. And it passes me with her in it. <laughs> yeah, that's not funny. <laughs> I yelled out the window, Pam, hold on! <laughs> Boom, that thing came to a smashing halt right there at Taco Bell. So she gets out and then I get out. And Pastor Cody, we exchanged words. And then I go in and get three tacos and a Mountain Dew because I worked up an appetite. <laughs> I stuck to my mission. And we hooked it all back up and we went home and that's how we started our marriage. And I want you to know that marriage is often like taking a piece of luggage. We all have our issues, right? We have issues that we develop when we're little and we put them in our luggage and our baggage and we carry them into marriage behind us. And often we don't open up our luggage and we don't show our spouse till after we're married. After marriage, I whip that thing out. I go zip, zip, zip. I open it. I'm like, look, honey, this is what you really got. This is who you married. And often it creates conflict. 
we start to use our tools. The first tool that I want to talk about you might be guilty of using is the hammer. It's called anger. I choose this tool. It's not an accident. I want you to think back in the last few years of your life, whether you're married or not, old or not, and how often are we grabbing this tool? It is a choice. It is a decision. And I often ask myself, why is it that a godly man, a man that is supposed to be chasing after the Lord's heart, why do I grab this tool so quickly? It's never an accident. I don't slip and fall. Oopsies, I got mad. It's a choice. As the Bible says that man's anger never produces the righteousness of God. Never. I look back at every time I've used this on my wife and it breaks my own heart. It's never produced anything good. I've shamed my Lord. I've hurt my wife. And God wants me to keep my tool in a toolkit and stay out of his way. And so anger, the hammer, I'm guilty. How about you? Another tool that we often use in marriage, uh, this is a good one. It's the screwdriver of manipulation. It's like, I'll fix you. I'll show you. I'll behave in a certain way where I'll get what I want. I'll quit talking. I'll use the silent treatment. <laughs> That'll get what I want. I'll pull away, I'll shut down, I'll go cold. I've seen this so many times. I've seen this in wives where they can pull back their affection and their emotion. Husband comes home from work and, and instead of getting any type of a greeting at all, he gets the coldest shoulder. I'll show him. I'll show her. I see husbands doing it. I'll quit holding her hand. I'll quit opening her door. I'll quit giving her affection. That'll show her. I'm guilty. How about you? Another tool that we often use to fix someone we're hurt by or we're angry with, you can't quite see it from where you're sitting, but it's a little handsaw and it's got little fine teeth on it and it cuts and it cuts both ways. And this is all simply what I call just simple words. Just words. Don't have to yell. I don't have to curse. I don't have to be mad. Sometimes we know the perfect words to use to cut the people we love the most. Finish this quote for me. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never. That is a lie from Satan. Because bruises go away and bones heal. But often the words that we choose wound someone for a lifetime. I've sat across the table from way too many couples for years and years and years, and, and, and they've shared the pain of wounds from words. I could interview every single one of you right now and find a time in your life where somebody spoke words into you and it was like a healing ointment for your soul. Somebody believed in you. Whether you were younger or older, and those words, like the Bible says, were words of life. It made you feel like there was no ocean you couldn't swim and no mountain you couldn't climb because words have that power, the Bible says. But words also have the power to destroy and to cut. And similarly, I could interview you and find a time in your life where someone hurt you and they cut you. And it was almost like it happened yesterday. Words of criticism. I'm guilty. How about you? 
I only have a couple more. I could go on and on. This is sort of like a guide tool. I don't like what I'm hearing. I don't like what my wife is saying. She might be saying it respectfully. She might be saying it, and it's true and it's accurate, but I don't like it, so I'll fix her earplugs. I'll tune her out. I see your lips moving, but I don't hear a thing. And ladies, you can do the same. And lastly is duct tape. Have you ever thought of all the things you could do to your spouse with duct tape? <laughs> you could fix them. And there's times where Pam is saying something to me and I do not like it. And rather than using earplugs, I'm like, honey, you got the perfect thing. Come here. Come a little closer. Come on. I got this. It's going to fix you. Come on. The truth is I do need duct tape, but not for her. My question for you this morning is what tools have you been using? What's your pattern look like? If you look back at the last 10 years of your life, married or not, what flesh tools are you using? What pattern have you developed? Because I want you to know that we all have what's called a sin nature. We all have our flesh. And that's what these tools represent, is my flesh. And every single time I grab one of these, here's what I'm really saying. Hey, God, I got this. I don't need you. I got this. And one night I was on my knees praying early in our marriage because there was tension between Pam and I. And I'm crying out to the Lord, and I'm like, Lord, what is it with women? I don't understand. And I was upset with Pam because of some of the things that she had said or done. And the Lord shared a thought with me that changed everything in my heart. Here's what he said. Matt, put your tools down and get out of my way. What do you mean, God? God said, Matt, every time you use your tools, you're in my way. Every time you use this on Pam, and by the way, it's not just marriage related. Every time you use your tools on other people, you're in my way and you're wounding Pam. You're hurting her. Matt, because of you, Pam's heart is now becoming hardened. And because of you, Matt, and your tools and your flesh, your wife now, Matt, is having a really difficult time even, even listening to me, God said. Matt, Pam is tuning me out because of you. So put your tools down and get out of my way. You can't fix your spouse, and you should stop trying. God reminded me that's his job. He created the foundations of the universe. He created man and woman. He created relationships and marriage. He fixes people. And lastly, he reminded me that he sent his son to die on the cross for Pam. That's how much he loves her. And so if it's true for me, and if it's true for you that you've developed some pattern like we all do and we need to put our tools down and walk away, then what recourse do we have? What can I do that's biblical? So if you have your Bibles this morning or if you look in your handouts, you'll find we're going to read out of this, this passage called 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is in the Old Testament. And you're going to find out that it's not a specific marriage scripture. But I want you to know this morning that countless times in Ezekiel and in Hosea in the Bible, God often refers to his relationship with us as a marriage relationship. 
And he has a formula here on how to reconcile and redeem and restore the relationship between us and him as a people. And it is the exact formula that works in a marriage. I've seen it happen so many times. You can't even believe the miracles that come out of this one passage that God gives us to restore broken relationships. Here it is. First thing it says is if my people, if. Key word, if my people. Hey, that's us. Anytime I see the word if, it stops me in my tracks because if is a word of condition. And I know this morning that a lot of you want a great marriage and you want a great life and you want all the blessings that God has to offer. And the young ones this morning, you want girls, you want to meet a boy and you want to have this great marriage and you dream about it. But if is a big word. If my people, if is a word of condition. If my people who are called by my name, which is us, will do three things. He'll blow a healing in our lives that we can't even imagine. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their own. Look at this for a second right here. Turn from my own right here. Wicked ways. And years ago when I read this scripture and I started to put this message together, I got to thinking about that word wicked and I'm like, hey, he's not talking to me. He's talking about wicked people. <laughs> I'm off the hook. You're all off the hook. He's talking about wicked people. That's not us. And then in my spirit, the Lord tapped on my shoulder and he said, Matt, every time you use this, it's wicked. Hey, Matt, every time you use your flesh, it's wicked. He is talking to me. And this passage is for us. To turn from our wicked ways. Then, he says, then, I love that word. You'll often find the word if and then the word then. He's given us a formula. It is a process. It is in chronological order. Humble myself, seek him, and turn from my flesh. Then, I'll hear from heaven. I'm going to forgive you, he says. And I love this last part. I will heal your land. I'll heal your broken heart. I'll heal your marriage. I'll heal your relationship between you and the persons around you that are wounded. I'll heal you. I'll heal your wife through you. I'll heal your marriage and I'll heal your husband through you. And so I want to unpack this for you this morning. The first thing he says here is he says, humble yourself. Step number one in bringing a healing into my broken situation, no matter what it is, is to humble me. I'm telling you, this is the hardest step. I think it's why he put it in there chronologically as the first step. It's the hardest. We're not born humble. We're not naturally humble. Pride is an amazing insulator between us and the Lord and his blessings. Come humble. The Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I've studied greatly King David and why did God favor David? You guys might remember the story. David was favored by God. How many of you this morning want God's favor? You want his favor in your marriage, your life, your future, your children, their children, and their children. How many of you want that favor? Then let's look and see what happened to King David. Was he perfect? No. Did he sin? Greatly. David committed murder, adultery, lies, and deceit. 
Yet for some reason, God's affection never left him. Why? Because when caught in sin, David did something the other kings wouldn't do. King Saul would not do this. King Solomon did not do this. I see pastors all over the nation not doing this. I see husbands not doing this. I see wives not doing this. When caught in sin, David became broken. He humbled himself and fell at the foot of the cross in Psalm 51. He tore out his chest metaphorically and he cried out to the Lord. It's one of the most beautiful prayers of repentance you'll ever read. And I believe that when David did that, King David, the dignitary, he wasn't above repentance. He wasn't above it. He humbled himself to it. I've got to believe that when he fell on his face, God looked down upon him and he smiled and he says, that's my boy. That's my boy. Taking a step of humility is not easy when you're wounded. When you're wounded is one of the hardest times to take a step of humility. But that's what I'm asking you to do. Someone needs to take the first step. Let it be you. Let it be you. Romans 19, 17 through 21 says, Do not repay anyone for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do not take revenge. Do not take matters in my own hands. And then it goes on to say in the next couple of verses, If your enemy is hungry, feed them and give them something to drink. And in doing this, you heap coals on their head. Do not overcome evil by evil but overcome evil with good. Sometimes, and I don't want to paint a darker picture than what it is, but sometimes the enemy is your spouse. That's how you feel. You feel that feeling that they're my enemy in a moment of tension and arguments and anger and bitterness and betrayal. And according to my Bible, it says this, love those who hate you. Be kind to those who hurt you. Take a step of humility. Listen, when you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a supernatural thing in you called the Holy Spirit that gives you, listen, it gives you a supernatural ability to love people that are hard to love. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to love people that are hard to love. And I saw my father do this over and over and over my whole life. My father had a supernatural ability to love people who wounded him beyond measure. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. My question this morning is will you let him? Will you let the Holy Spirit lead you in supernaturally loving people humbly who don't deserve it. That's not what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to use your tools. He wants you to defend yourself. He wants you to avenge yourself. And I will promise you that anytime we avenge ourselves, it ends badly. It ends badly. So my desire for you is to become humble. To give Pam a hug in the moment she hurts me. To do the opposite. I've even had therapists disagree with me and say, well, that's not right. That's enabling. Yeah? Well, my God says otherwise. How do I become humble? I got a few technical steps here. Number one, take a long, hard look in the mirror. Fear God. Identify changes I can make. That's how I become humble. And here it is. Don't return fire with 
fire. When I'm wounded, keep my anger in its holster. I remember one time I got mad at Pam. We were in an argument. We very strong-willed. Uh, by the way, raise your hand right now if you married a strong-willed woman. Guys, raise your hand right now if you're, yeah, just keep it up. I love strong-willed women. Come on, there's nothing to be ashamed about. I love a strong-willed woman. Pam is a strong-willed woman. And it drew me into her. That's what tr attracted me to her. Like a bug is attracted to a zapper. Yeah, think about it. And we had conflict. I love a strong-willed woman. I love that about her. But we had conflict. And one time we got into a fight and I got mad. And I grabbed my, my hammer and I, I said, you know what? I'm going to avenge myself. So I got in my truck and I tore off and I squealed the tires. I'm like, I'll show her. Anybody here ever do that? Raise your hand. One guy? Pastor Cody, you got to preach online. You got to. That's, that's your next week's sermon, brother. I get about a block away, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm worked up. I'm steaming at the disrespect from her. And all of a sudden, the Lord knocked on my head, and he's like, Matt, what are you doing? I'm like, God, this is not a good time. Please come back later. He goes, no, this is a great time. What are you doing? And I had my list of grievances against her, and I had them all right here. And I'm like, God, did you see the things she said to me? And my list was accurate. And I want you to know that often that is your first recourse, that is your first step, is to take the grievances against you and you articulate them and you've got them all nicely in order and it's accurate. And here is your weapon and here's your leverage. You know what God said? Throw it away. He goes, man, I'm talking to you about you. What are you doing? What are you doing to her? I sent my son to die for your wife. What are you doing to her? And he convicted me to become humble in the moment that I was hurt. And so in that conviction from the Holy Spirit, I whipped into a grocery store like right away to buy her flowers. I'm like, okay, I'll buy her flowers when I'm mad at her. Have any of you ever bought flowers for someone when you were mad at them? It's weird. <laughs> I went up to the counter, you know, and I'm pretty still worked up. And my luck was... I got the happiest little high school girl in the world. Irritating. I went up and I'm like, yeah, I'd like to buy my wife some flowers. And she goes, oh, that's so amazing. You're such a good husband. Yeah. What kind are you going to get her? <laughs> Cheapest kind you got. <laughs> Whack off the heads, wrap the stems. <laughs> I didn't do that. And I took a step of humility because that's what my God pressed in for me to do. And I, I'm driving home and I'm looking at these flowers next to me and I'm thinking and I'm replaying everything. And I pulled into my driveway and all of a sudden I sat there remorseful and broken. I'm like, how could I have acted so childish? And I sat there and I wept. God, forgive me. Pam, forgive me. Humble yourself. And you'll be healed. Now I was hoping like in the movies I'd kick the door open and hand her the flowers and she'd melt into my arms like, you know, the romance movies. Yeah, that did not happen. <laughs> but later she told me that when she saw me walk in with those flowers, it meant the world to her. Humble yourself. Guys, be loving with your spouses, your wives, when they don't deserve it. 
You see, to me, the real litmus test of love is during conflict, not when things are good. The real litmus test on how good of a lover am I with my heart towards my wife is when things are tough, not when things are good. The real Matt shows up when things are tough, when she hurts me. When you're wounded, the real you is exposed. And, and the, the, your temperament and the steel in which God wants to make you is exposed when you're hurt. Who are you when you're hurt? Sometimes I get an A and God is pleased. Sometimes I get an F. The real litmus test is when you're wounded. And wives, it's no different for you. When you're wounded, I want you to offer something to your husband that makes no sense. I want you to offer him respect. I want you to be careful with your tongue. I want you to be careful with the words and the daggers. I want you to try to win him over with your behavior with a gentle, quiet spirit that doesn't make sense because he doesn't deserve it. You're right, he doesn't. But you don't deserve love either when you're not acting well. And I'm challenging him to love you when you don't deserve it. So it's only fair that I ask you to give him the one thing he needs the most, which is respect when he doesn't deserve it. Amen? Ephesians 5.33 says, Men, we are called to love our wives, and wives respect our husbands. I didn't say this would be easy. I said it would be powerful. We go into number two. Oh, and by the way, yeah, I need duct tape, but a humble man uses it on himself. A humble woman uses it on herself. Humility shows up when I put duct tape and I bite my tongue until it bleeds, hold back the words of contempt, and I don't always have to share my disagreements. I don't always have to verbalize when I don't think she's saying something that I agree with. How about just bite my tongue? Be humble. Before I move on to the next one, I want to scare the parents a little bit here by saying this. Your children... Your children, the number one tool, the number one resource in your children's lives to learn how to be humble is by watching you. It's not going to be at school. They're not going to learn this great message at school. They're not going to learn it on social media. And they're going to learn it in sermons from time to time. But the number one teaching agent in the life of a child is by visually observing mom and dad. Show them. I don't have time this morning to unpack the thousands of lessons my father showed me on how to be humble. He was my hero. The second thing in this passage, it says, is seek God. Seek him. Seek him. And I got to tell you right now that a lot of us check out on it because we go to church every weekend. I'm, oh, I'm seeking you, God. The problem I have with seeking God is there are levels of seeking him we know not of. We don't seek him like we should. My, I should be on my knees. And, and I got so many couples now that get a divorce. And I'll ask them. I'll say, hey, listen, before you get divorced, before you consider it, have you sought the Lord by reading his word on marriage and divorce? No. Okay. Have you sought the Lord by seeking an elder or a deacon or a counselor that knows Jesus? No. Have you sought the Lord by meeting with a friend who loves Jesus that's going to bring the gospel into your soul? No. I just want out. I just want out. It's an epidemic going on right now in the church. 
And God says, seek me. Humble yourself and seek me. I got this, God says. Give me a shot. Hey, Matt, come to me. I got this. Come to me. I got this. I, I, I'm going to work through you, and I'm going to get to Pam, Matt. But give me a shot. Give me a chance. God says, seek me. You'll find me. Put it in my hands, God says. Put your tools down. Listen to me for a second, church. Don't seek a friend at work that doesn't know Jesus. Don't seek a brother or sister that doesn't know Jesus. Don't seek a counselor that doesn't know Jesus. Don't seek any type of online advice that's not biblical and Christ-led. Do not seek those things. Seek the Lord and those who love him. Amen? Because your friends that don't know Jesus are always going to lead you astray. God says, seek me. And when you meet with a couple that we've trained this weekend, when you meet with a couple in the privacy of their home, maybe just for some encouragement, maybe you'll meet with them one or two times, maybe you'll meet with them 10 or 12 times, and it's just a process we've, we've developed and we've created for them. Listen, when you meet with another couple, you're seeking God because you're seeking them who are led by God. God says, come to me. Come on. Give me a shot. I don't have time to unpack the miracles that I've seen God do. And then he goes to this third part of the formula, which is turn from your ways. Turn from your tools. This is the hardest step. And I'm not going to be able to turn from my tools until I humble myself and seek God. A lot of us, here's, this is really interesting when I've, I've watched this for years. A lot of us want God's healing. We want his anointing. We want his blessings. We want his power. We want the last part first. We're like, hey God, heal me first, then I'll be humble, and then I'll seek you, and then God, if you, can, if you can orchestrate all this, then I'll quit using my tools. And God says, no. He's like, that's not the order I laid this out. God said, humble yourself first, seek me second, then you can turn from your ways, and then after all that, God says, I will heal you. I'll heal you. It's interesting as I read Matthew chapter 13. These are Jesus' words. Listen to this for a second. Jesus' words. So 2 Chronicles is way, 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 way back in the Old Testament. But let's go forward. Jesus says, for this reason, people's hearts have become calloused. And they can hardly hear with their ears. And they do not, they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they could see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn from their ways. And then Jesus himself says, then I would heal them. There it is again. Same formula. Out of Jesus' mouth. If I would open my eyes, humble myself, open my ears to the truth of who I am, be honest with who I am, go to Pam, Pam, it's me, Pam, it's me, God, it's me, then, then he'll heal me. So what are your ways this morning? I'd like you to draw a line in the sand this morning, all of us draw a line in the sand and separate ourselves from our tools. Make it a quest. We're going to have some altar time this morning for all of you, married or not, young or old. It's going to be a moment where I'm going to ask you to come out of your chair and come forward as a visual sign that you're drawing a line in the sand today and you're saying, as of this moment on, I am walking away from my flesh. 
So for a second, I just want to talk to the young ones who aren't married. I'm going to say two things to the young ones that aren't married. I'm going to first start with the young ladies. I'm going to look right at these young girls up here, and I got some other young ladies over here. So young ladies, I want you to make a promise this morning. It won't be long and you're going to meet a boy. And he's going to make you a little wobbly in the knees. But here's the promise I want you to make. That no matter how good looking he is, and no matter how popular he is, and no matter how much money he may make, if he doesn't know Jesus, don't go on one date. Do not let your hearts become fallen for someone that doesn't know Jesus. Guys, it's your turn. I don't care how pretty she is. I don't care about her popularity or beauty. If she doesn't know Jesus, and I mean know him, don't go on one date. Walk away. And I want you to quote something. Even if you do meet someone who is a perceived believer, this is what I said to my wife on our first date. I said, I don't want to have sex until we're married. I don't want to live with you. I don't go to the bars. I go to church every weekend. My Bible is my compass. And if these things don't line up with you, I'm not your guy. Can you say that on your first date? You might not have a second date. But you're going to save a pretty stressful marriage. You're going to save yourself from a lot of pain. Amen, parents? Amen. So here's the formula. Humble myself. Seek the Lord. Turn from my ways. Give God a chance. Give God a chance. Give God a chance. Somebody asked me one time, Matt, what is the secret to a long-lasting marriage? Here it is. Two words. A lot of forgiveness, a lot of repentance. A lot of forgiveness and a lot of repentance. A lot of forgiveness. A lot of repentance. You want to be, you want to live a life of freedom from being a wounded victim to everything? A wounded victim to maybe what happened to you when you were a child or when you were married or from your spouse? A lot of forgiveness lives in the land of freedom. My father was abused by his father beyond recognition. Almost beat him to death. His father was evil. I don't know how in the world God could have ever uh, helped my father except through supernatural healing. But I'll never forget when I'm 13, 14, going to my grandpa's house, watching my father take care of his dad. He mowed his lawn. He shaved him. He took care of his bills. He gave him tender, caring love. And I found out in my teens how evil my grandpa was and how evil and mean he still was to my dad. He was in prison for beating and abusing his own kids. And when I found this out, I, my jaw dropped and I looked at my father and I'm like, Dad, if that's who Grandpa is, then how in the world can you be here week after week tending to him and caring for him? He has no love for you. My father sat me down and he opened up the Bible. And he read, honor your mother and your father and your days will be long and good. You see, my father didn't live life a victim. He forgave. He loved. And as I close, I want to draw your attention to this card. I want everyone to grab the card right now. It was on your seat. Please grab it. Please take a look at it. This is what we're going to do this morning.
If you're here and you need a little bit of help in your marriage, maybe you've got a little bump you'd like to get over, you'd like to be enriched, encouraged, I want you to sign it. We're going to pair you up with another couple privately and they're going to meet with you and they're just going to walk with you. You're going to bond with them. Maybe, maybe you need a lot of help. Maybe you're looking uh, down the barrel of a possible divorce, whether it's a little or a lot. All I want you to do this morning is sign it. And here's what we're going to do. You're going to turn these in in the offering plate as it comes by. And here it is. I want all of you to turn them in, signed or not signed, so there's no embarrassment. No one's going to notice. And then help will be on the way. Help will be on the way. You see, Pastor Cody and Aaron care far too much about your future and your children and their children and your calling. They care way, way too much to sit by and, and, and let it all dissolve. They care way, way too much. Matter of fact, to, to their credit, they care a lot more about what goes on in your life from Sunday morning after the service all the way to the next Sunday morning. They care about what goes on in your home. That's why I'm here. They're investing in you. All I'm asking you to do is to sign it if you need a little bit or a lot of help. It's private, it's confidential. My question is, will you? At the end of the service, I've got a few marriage products if you're interested to help your date night, spice them up. I'll be out in the front desk if you want to meet with me or talk to me. And as I close, I've got a final story and I really want you to pay attention to this because I think it might stay with you for a while. Some of you might be like, I get it, Matt. Humble myself, see God, turn from my ways. I get it. I, I think I understand it. But why are you so excited? Why are you so passionate about marriage? Is there a possibility that there's a deeper reason that's fueling you? Why did you walk away from a career where you had everything laid out, everything you needed, the comforts of everything, and I walked away from it all? Why did you do that? Is there a deeper reason? My answer would be there is. A guy came to me years ago. And he said he got married young. His wife got pregnant at 14. Can you imagine? 14 years old, pregnant. He went off to the military. He found out the first couple weeks in the military he was 19. And then she sent him a letter and said, hey, I'm your, your daddy. So he came on leave, came home on leave, and they got married at the Justice of the Peace. He went back to the military. They had... He came home a couple years later. They had two more kids and their marriage got worse and they found Jesus in a little Pentecostal church. But their marriage actually got worse. I want you to know that all issues don't just dissolve because you're following Christ. He gives you the power to endure, but he doesn't take away troubles. And he came home from work one night and she was gone. She abandoned him with three kids. She left a note. Been seeing another man for the last year. I'm going with him. Bye-bye. And there he stood all alone. A fairly new believer. And he had one of two paths to choose in life, just like I think you're going to have one of two paths. Whether you're married or not, you will face this crossroad in your life with people. One path is what I call the path of forgiveness, where you just, you have a supernatural ability to forgive and give God a chance to intervene. But there's another path I see all too often called the path of contempt where whoever wounded you, whoever hurt you, whoever betrayed you, you're going to hold them in contempt and you're going to go down that path and it creates hardness and anger and bitterness and resentment and divorces. I don't know how or why, but here's what this man did. He decided to forgive her. 
And he prayed for her. And he said to himself, I'm going to wait however long it takes. I'm going to wait for God to bring her back to me. She's the mama of my kids. And he waited. He stood on God's promise. The days went on and the weeks went on and the months went on. And he was all alone and his friends, I'm sure, were telling him to divorce her like the world would. But he didn't. He waited. And one day, he gets a knock at the door and he opened it up and there she stood. Luggage in one hand, I'm sure tears running down her face. Will you take me back? And he grabs her and brings her into his chest. And he loves her all the days of her life. And they ended up having three more children. And they were married 60 years. And one of those three children that they had was me. My dad had no idea that when he chose to love my mother, that his decision would yield my life. He did not know that waiting on the Lord would yield 60 years of a marriage you couldn't separate. You couldn't separate them. Their last 30 was their best. They finished in a way that we only dream of. You couldn't separate them. They actually fell in love around year 30, 30 years of marriage. They became inseparable. And God's glory reigned. You see, I want you to grab that this morning, that your marriage just isn't about you. It's about the calling that God has on your children and their children and their children. And every life that you're going to touch is affected by your marriage. Fight for it. Like my dad did. I used to call him after every trip, say, hey, Dad, I was in Alabama, California, Canada. Dad, I trained more couples. Hey, Dad, we've got an army, 8,000 8, couples now that are mentoring all over the world. Hey, Dad, it's all because of you. Because you love my mother. And Mom, you're a hero for coming home. You're a hero for repenting. You're a hero like David. You fought for this thing. Healed my life. But he died recently. You should have been there. All six kids surrounding him at our home we grew up in. He lets out his last breath. My mother collapses on his body and she lets out a roar. She screams, no, you promised you wouldn't leave me alone. And I sat there in awe when I was comparing that last moment to the darkest hour where they were apart. That's what God can do. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for your kids. That's what I want you to show your kids. So as the music plays, we're going to have a little altar call, and this is how it's going to work. I want you to tear off a sheet of paper. Just tear off a corner. You can write on it. You don't need to write on it, but just tear a little bitty piece off about this big. And on it, I want it to represent your tools. I want it to represent the hammer, the saw, whatever it is that you're guilty of, of the pattern, the special pattern you've developed. And I want you to bring it forward with your spouse. And if you're not married, bring it forward and leave it at the altar. God, I'm walking away from my flesh. God, I'm turning today. And so as the music plays, just come. Stay up here for a little bit. We're going to have some prayer time. Be humble. Show your kids what it looks like to get out of your chair and come forward. And if you're married, maybe you want to take your spouse by the hand. Maybe you want to come forward. And maybe it's going to be a moment in time where you're like, we're restarting our marriage right now at this altar. 
Hey, babe, I'm sorry. Hey, God, I'm sorry. So come. Just get out of your chair right now as the music plays and come. Everybody, come. Stay up here. Come. Miracles are on the other side of humbling myself. Come. Take your spouse by the hand. Come. Walk away from your pattern. Come. Pray to the Lord that he forgive you and, and that he would heal your heart where it's hurt and wounded and lonely and saddened. Come. Leave it at the altar. Come. If you're single and you've got wounds, leave them here. If you've got patterns that you know are there and you see them and you've learned about them this morning, come. Leave them. Leave them here. They're in God's way. Come. And his healing power and his healing ointment will fall upon you. Come. My dad had no clue what his decision would yield. And you have no clue what your decisions will yield. You have no idea how God will pour a blessing and pour an ointment and he will pour his favor into your future. And this morning is not a once in a lifetime. It's a lifestyle of coming to the altar and walking away from our tools.